I'm Jessica Randolph, and welcome to the How to Buy a House podcast, where we empower you to invest in real estate and start building wealth for yourself. It's the biggest purchase of your life, and we're going to teach you how to do it right. Your host, Jessica Randolph, is an HGTV designer, a top realtor for over 10 years, winner of the National Association of Realtors 30 Under 30 Award, Rookie of the Year, number 11 realtor on social media in Tennessee, and most importantly, the founder of the How to Buy a House class. Jessica, take it away. What's going on? Today, we're talking about one of my favorite subjects, home design. And I'm especially excited because y'all are going to get to hear from one of my favorite designers who also happens to be one of our How to Buy a House class teachers. Caitlin Wolfkale is an expert realtor and designer in Salt Lake City, Utah. She grew up with real estate in her blood and spent her weekends helping her parents flip and renovate homes from a young age. She went on to being one of the best designers in Nashville, working with some of the biggest builders in the area. And then this led her to get her real estate license and ignited her newfound passion of selling real estate. She now lives back in Salt Lake City and is crushing it out there. And we're so excited to have her a part of our network. So if you're in Salt Lake City or anywhere near there in Utah, be sure to check out Caitlin. And she is now going to be teaching her how to buy a house classes out there. So you can sign up for those on our website and follow her on Instagram. Caitlin, thank you so much for being a part of our episode today. Well, I'm so excited to be here. And anytime I get to chat with you, it's good time. <laughs> I'm so excited for today's episode because you just have so many tools in your tool belt and a lot of them being design tools and our stories are so similar in that. And so I can't wait to learn from you. And I know our audience is going to learn so much from you today, but before we get into today's topic, I would love to hear more about your story. Tell us how you got into real estate, why you got into real estate and just a little bit more about your real estate career. Okay. Well, thanks for asking. So how I got into real estate, I never grew up thinking I was going to be in real estate and this was going to be my career. But then looking back on how my life played out, I had no other choice in life than to be doing what I'm doing. I was really blessed. My parents both used real estate and housing and flipping and being landlords to create wealth for themselves. My mom had learned it all from her parents. So a lot of what I know, it's just second nature that I just grew up with. Where most kids went on the weekends to just play and hang out with friends, it was Saturday, put your work clothes on. We're going over and taking care of a property because a tenant just moved out. So, Oh my gosh, that's so awesome. Yeah, I really loved that. And my mom's love was design. So we really bonded over that. I was the oldest. And so she would always take me on her design appointments. And she likes to tease that I've been designing houses since I could see over the counter at Home Depot. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. <laughs> so I went to college at the U. So I was raised here in Utah, in Salt Lake. And I went for an undergrad in education. And I was a school teacher. I loved that job. But then as luck would have it, I found myself very quickly in my early 20s, I became a single mom. And when I did, I was a single mom school teacher and I was making less than $30,000 a year. And I started to use real estate as a side hustle just out of survival, to be honest. I mean, I was like, when I got my paycheck from being a school teacher, by the time I paid my daughter's daycare, I had $800 left over. So I was like, I've got to figure this out. I have to figure out how to make extra money. And so I did that by design. 
And so I was living in Nashville at the time. I was going back to school to get my master's in education. And I put my daughter in school. We rented this tiny little apartment in an affluent area in Nashville so that she could get a good education. And one of the moms found out that I did design, paid me like $75, I think, to pick out the pink color for the outside of her house. And then little did I know a year later, then I was doing design for all of the top builders in town. They started having me draw their floor plans. I was doing remodels. I was down in Brentwood doing like what? like million dollar homes. And so it just really took off and I didn't go back to school and teach school that year. So I love people learning your background because I think it's so interesting, especially when you hire a realtor and understanding where they came from. If they came from an education background or they have design experience, that is all stuff that you get to tap into as their client and be like, okay, can you please help me? I need to renovate my kitchen or renovate my bathroom. I need your advice. And that's all stuff I know you do for your clients. And we'll talk about the day. We're going to definitely get some of those golden nuggets out of you, I think. Because a lot of people, they love good style. They love, they have good taste, but they might not have the vision for it. So we'll talk about that. So then you're designing these homes, you're in Nashville. And then were you like, okay, I have to get my real estate license after that? Or how did that come about? It didn't even cross my mind, to be completely honest, just because I was so into the design and the construction. But then I would be at a property and people would come in the house and say, are you the seller? No, I'm not. I work for them. And they would want to see the house. Well, I just loved it so much. We would walk around and I would show them what we were envisioning for the design, all the stuff the architect had done, what the builder was using for soundproofing. And then before I knew it, they're like, let's write a contract. Let's write a contract. And then the people that I worked for, like, you're so good at selling the houses. You just need to go get your real estate license. We will pay for it. And then, yeah. So I did it kind of begrudgingly at first. And then I signed up for the classes and just fell in love with the whole process. I loved being able to work with the clients. And then if they didn't like our house, I was like, Hey, I know of one around the corner that I peeked in to see what they were doing in design. Let's run over there, take a look for that. And we would write that up. Wow. That is crazy. You literally like, that is also my background. I started working for a builder straight out of high school. I did, you know, design work for them, had no experience. I just started doing it because I always used to repaint my bedroom in high school or even in middle school. I remember my mom said I would just go around the house redecorating. I would like restyle her bookshelf or like move the furniture around. And I was always like, I was really into de decor and design, um, but I didn't go to school for that. I actually thought I wanted to be a news reporter. I like loved, and that's why I love this podcast so much. It's like, it's like getting all of my juices flowing. But then I started doing design work and the same thing happened. I was like, oh, they love the house I design and I obviously am in love with it. It's everything I loved. And so it was such a natural on-ramp to be a saleswoman for these houses because it was like my baby. And they're like, okay, we love your baby. And I'm like, okay, well, let's write this up. So that's amazing. I love that we both have that. And what year were you doing that in? Because I wonder if we like crossed paths. It was 2012, 2011, 2012. That's exactly when I got started. Are you kidding? I wonder if we did. It was like May of 2012 in Nashville is when I started. Yeah. That's so crazy. I know. Amazing. But let's go ahead and get into our topic today, which is what can I do design-wise to my house to help it appreciate? I like calling this DIY home decor hacks, things you can do to really elevate a space. And I know both you and I have worked on a lot of new construction homes. So I would love to kind of tap into that, especially for somebody listening. We've talked a lot about how to get your best bang for your buck in your home buying process thus far. And we've talked a lot about being smart with your investment and using your purchase to help fund 
the dreams you have um, and really provide wealth for your, for your future. But we have not talked about the practical things that you can do to get your hands dirty to have, make that process happen faster. So like, let's say you buy a house and let's say it's in East Nashville, it's $350,000. And maybe there are a lot of things that are great about it. You love the location, you love the price. Maybe the floor plan for the most part fits what you need, but maybe they've not made a single update since the sixties and the house just needs some love. There are so many things you can do on the cheap that aren't going to break the budget that maybe the second you're done with those renovations, now the house is worth $400,000 um, and increases about $50,000. And that's the power of having a good eye for design and thinking these things through. And especially in a market where there are a lot of buyers out to play, if there are 20 houses on the market that are a similar price point and a similar location to your house, how are you gonna win over those buyers? How are you gonna get your house to be the one that's under contract the fastest? And a lot of that comes down to good design and people falling in love with your house as soon as they see the photos and as soon as they walk through the door, they're just blown away. And Caitlin, I know you're an expert at this because me and you actually did a deal together. Was it a year ago? <laughs> Two years ago? Yeah, it was about a year ago. Yeah, and I remember walking through the house, and it was the first time I met Caitlin in person, and uh, it was before she moved to Salt Lake, and she was going through the design of this house, and I was like, oh my gosh, this girl is so good. She knows what she's doing. This house is so gorgeous, and she turned like a pickle back into a cucumber. Like, the location wasn't necessarily like, the best, but it she she really manipulated this house and had it staged so beautifully that my client, as soon as she walked in, she felt at home and fell in love and made an offer. And there were a lot of other houses she could have offered on at that time, so tell us, Caitlin, Let's do like a dream scenario. Let's say you've just got your hands on a new project and it needs some updating. What are some things that you immediately look for when it comes to elevating a house or elevating a space, for example? Okay, so the first thing that I look for is not the sexiest one. So sometimes people think, let's do the kitchen, let's retile. But the first thing you have to do is make sure that the space functions for you. And a lot of that dwindles down to storage. I've had so many clients come back and then want to just blow out the master bathroom. Maybe the house was built in the 70s. It's an atomic ranch. And they take out some space for the, for the actual bedroom to make it a little bit bigger, get a tub in there. And then they completely lack putting in any proper closet. So you still have one of those bi-folding closet door closets from the 70s that you can hang 16 pieces of clothing in. <laughs> so then they try to sell the house for like 1.2 and then the feedback is always, where do I put my clothes? Where do I put my clothes? Yeah. So carve out a space for a pantry. Carve out a space for a drop zone for your kids and your jackets. Where are you, When you come home, where are you going to put that stuff? Are you just going to throw it on your new beautiful kitchen uh, island and just clutter the place from top to bottom. So I like to do that, making sure that the garage functions, basement functions, and closets function before you would start spending money on all the things that you can see. Because if not, it's just kind of a waste. It's going to get cluttered and you're not going to see anything. And that's one of the number one reasons people want to move out of their current house and upgrade is space. But I'm like, well, it's not really space for you and your family. It's space for all of your stuff. And it's just, you're just not utilizing it correctly. It's so true. I We deal with that a lot in the neighborhood I live in. There's a lot of older houses. You know East Nashville. It's a lot of really, really tiny little 
closets because people just didn't have a lot of stuff back then. And then, you know, of course we're doing like the modern updates and you're right. They're like, I don't want to go down into my basement to go do my laundry. I'm doing five loads of laundry a week with my kids. I want like a laundry room. I need the space. So I think that is so smart and space planning and really figuring out the overall flow of the floor plan to make sure it's going to actually fit most people's lifestyle. And I totally agree with you. Having a big mm-hmm. closet is so huge. And I didn't grow up with a lot of room in my closet and now I've, I'm spoiled and have a really nice big closet. But that is definitely sometimes a deal breaker when I'm walking through a house with some buyers. They're like, we have like 20 pairs of shoes each and where are we going to put those? So I think that's great advice, especially for people who are, you know, looking at houses and they're, you know, looking at maybe 10 houses that are on the market. Consider the storage, consider the space. I think that's super helpful. I love that. I feel like so many home buyers get overwhelmed with their to-do list and they don't know where to start. So a good place to start is paint. Mm-hmm getting rid of so many colors from the 2000s, 90s, 80s, they're baby blue, uh-huh. they're taupes that are, that are yellow or grays and just putting in a neutral color, make sure your space seem bigger, happier, cleaner. And that's something that you can do yourself. So true. Are you guys seeing um, in Nashville, I know for like the last three years, it's been white everything. Like I'll have a client call me and they're like, we want to renovate. We want to put our house in the market. What should we do? I'm like, just paint it white. It will sell if you paint it white. But now I'm actually, I'm seeing that color is, is so important to a lot of our buyers. And even like the high end clients, they want color. They want personality. They want something unique. They don't want just any other builder grade, new construction home. They want something with with personality. And a lot of that is wallpapers back in style. For those of you listening, wallpaper is back in style. Okay. You can hide from it as long as you want, but it's back baby in a big way. And if you haven't been on Pinterest in a while, get on there, you'll find it. Are there some favorite paint colors right now for 2023 that you're seeing that are trending? Do you have any like actual favorite names of paint colors? I get that question all the time on Instagram of people because when I was on the HGTV show, people would always be like, oh, I'm going to ask Jessica for advice. And they're asking me different paint Mm -hmm. colors. And I just give them exact specs. I'm like, SW6027, Sherwin-Williams, Alabaster White. (laughs) You know, can't go wrong. Make sure you get eggshells so that you can wipe it with a cloth if you get spaghetti sauce on the wall, you know? What are some of your favorite paint colors that you're using right now? And what do you project for 2023 design-wise? So some of my favorite are it's sticking with Alabaster's my favorite, Sherwin-Williams. Yes. But also I love Benjamin Moore Chantilly Lace mm-hmm. using – because wallpaper is really big and so are doing wall features – For instance, like we're redoing a client's basement right now that purchased the house with us and it is a disaster. So we've, we've painted it mostly Chantilly lace, but then we're coming back in with darker wood paneling. So we're using Benjamin Moore raw iron on about two thirds of the basement. And so just kind of having like a moody movie room, I think darker tones are really coming back in. Oh yeah. Yes. Urbane bronze, Sherman Williams is a big one. Anything that has a little bit of taupe to it. Mm -hmm. I think the blues and the greens are out, but I'm I'm mostly noticing some terracottas. There's a Sherman Williams cavern clay is a huge one that's been an accent color. It's beautiful. It's very earth tony. Lots of pinks, believe it or not, and mauves. I mean, we just painted a couple of front doors in East Nashville mauve that played well off of the traditional white and then banyan brown kind of uh, wood tones on the outside of the house. Ooh, I love that. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of pastels coming back into play. Like, we're still really into a lot of greens and blues. I love Rosemary by Sherwin-Williams. That's a good one. And Retreat by Sherwin-Williams. You know that one? I do. We actually use that color a lot on cabinets. 
and like secondary bedrooms and laundry rooms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was this beautiful house. They did the the retreat by Sherman Williams on the cabinets and the walls and all of the baseboards and window trim. And it was very like monochromatic, but gorgeous. Like everything really flowed really nicely. It just felt so like rustic and, and warm. And so yeah, we're seeing a lot of that. That's really helpful because I feel like so many people go to Sherwin-Williams or Home Depot and they get in front of all those color swatches and they're like, what would a designer do? So I love that you recommended some actual colors. I think some people are going to really love that. I saw a few things that are trending, but when it comes to, you know, tile or countertops, like what's popular at the moment and what do you think for, for a future homeowner, what are some things they should think about in terms of like, okay, I should probably update this um, because that's what's, what people are wanting texture is huge so have you are you familiar with the lime wash on the walls have you seen it by Pola paints no is that kind of like where it looks like concrete yeah so it's got sort of like a concrete grittiness to it so they have two products Portola paints. One is Roman clay that looks a little bit more like plaster. And then the second one is called lime wash. And that's a little bit more gritty kind of concrete. It comes in a plethora of colors and it could not be easier to put on. I actually think it's easier than painting. Wow. And it's a texture that you put on the wall and it's not like the eighties texture wall, right? Where like denim was where you would get like (laughs) a brush out and like the denim. Didn't Ralph Lauren have like denim and linen? I mean, it's not like, Yes. Or like the sponge paint. Like I feel like uh-huh. that's what people think I'm talking about, but it is so or like popcorn ceiling. They get yeah. like so afraid of any texture. And you can't really tell unless you're like up close to it. So the best places are to do it in a powder bath or maybe in one wall in the bedroom where the bed goes, because they're all kind of natural, mm-hmm. clean colors. Or I've seen it on fireplaces. Somebody has a fireplace that's not their favorite and it's just drywalled out. And they're able to do that and it looks like a French fireplace and they can just get a mantle online from Wayfair. So that's one of my favorite ways to kind of put texture in right now. Love that. And that's inexpensive. That's something you could do yourself and do it on an afternoon and completely change the way a space looks. Yeah. And update your hood. Update your hood. Your range hood. Yes. The stainless steel hoods, those are what, $500, but you can keep the internal guts of it. And then on Etsy of all places, this is how easy it is to get these things you love on Pinterest. Go on Etsy. They have, you can just type in hood over your range and people are making them. They cost like $300. You can pick out whichever one you want. You send in your dimensions and they ship it to you free like three weeks later. Wow. I did not know that. Etsy, man. That's amazing. I know. Isn't it crazy? You can get all kinds of stuff on there. Yeah. We're seeing a ton of different range coves and different, Mm -hmm. you know, arches in the kitchen and little nooks within the range coves. We're seeing a lot of that. And that's definitely like, definitely on like the fancy scale. I'm really thinking like for a first time homeowner, some things they could do to really like elevate a space on a tight budget. Um, I had a friend just move into an apartment yesterday and he's renting it. He's just renting. And he's like, Jess, can you just come in and give me some design advice? And you know, he's looking for a woman. He's like, I want girls to come in here and feel like super at home. And he does have a really good eye for design. So he's like, what can I do? And even doing like your own peel and stick backsplash, that's something super cheap and easy. You can get online on Amazon, probably also on Etsy. Um, I know I've seen it on Wayfair. If you're not able to do tile yourself or completely gut something. You can literally lay peel and stick. It's like stickers that are tile and you could literally completely change the way that a kitchen or a bathroom looks just alone with, with the peel and stick. 
What are some other like DIY hacks like that that you're seeing um, that don't break the bank but make a huge difference? Okay. I think that one, the biggest bang for your buck if you're a first-time home buyer looking to update is light fixtures. Seems expensive, but it's not. You can buy light fixtures on Amazon that will come to your house in two days that don't even, they're not even more than $75. And Amazon can set you up with a person that will come and install it for you. Is that true? I didn't yeah. even know that. I've done That's it. That's amazing. I did it. I had a house that I couldn't reach the we put a new fan in. It was like $100 on Amazon. I couldn't reach it because I didn't have a ladder at the house. And I hired somebody and for $80, they came. They were a licensed electrician. They put it up and left like 15 minutes later. Wow. That's amazing. That is so good to know. Y'all, huge. That's a huge tip. I love that. I'm learning so much already. I had this really great design mentor and she would always say that lighting is the jewelry of a house. And you never know if someone's wearing a necklace, you don't know if they spent $20 on it or $200 on it. And I feel like lighting is the same way. It's like you could really go cheap on lighting, especially because it is something that goes in and out of style very quickly. So I wouldn't spend thousands of dollars on one dining room light. I just had some friends do that. They bought this gorgeous anthropology light. I think they spent like two grand on it. And in my opinion, it's already out of style. So I actually think that going for like the cheaper fashion of lighting is better because you can use it for a couple of years get really great love out of it. And then you can always resell it on Facebook Marketplace and get, then get whatever else is in style. I know beaded chandeliers for a long time were super in and already I'm seeing them go out and those are very inexpensive. So just keep in mind that whatever you do, you can always change it, but especially if you do it on a budget, it's something that you can swap out easily. And I have actually installed light fixtures myself before. There's this really great website called youtube.com where you can learn how to really install anything. Uh, but as long as you, you know, do all the same precautions. It's really not too hard. But yeah, I think that's great advice. Lighting is huge. And I think layered lighting, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm just going to change the one ceiling mount boob light and I'll put in a, a nice hanging pendant or whatever. But they don't consider also that you can do lamps, you can do under cabinet lighting, sconce lighting, um, doing like art lights. Are, that's super popular right now. There's so many different things you can do within your space. I actually, my goal is to have layered lighting in every room so I don't have to use my overhead light. I love kind of like the ambiance you can create when you've got different areas of different layered lighting. And Amazon has some great options for that too. There are things you can buy like under cabinet sticky lights that you can charge just like you charge your iPhone and they literally stick under your cabinet so you don't have to have somebody come in and hardwire. You can make your whole kitchen feel super expensive just by adding more lighting. Same thing with sconces. So let's say you don't want to pay somebody to come, an electrician, and hardwire sconces, and then you have to redo the drywall and da-da-da-da-da. You can buy the sconce from Wayfair, Amazon, wherever you want. Drill it to the wall wherever you want. And they have this thing called a magic light. That's like a little puck light. And then sort of have to have a shade over it. But then you just, it pops in and it glues to where a light bulb would go. And then it has a remote and they all work <gasps> on the same remote. So you can walk in and have mood lighting and sconces down your whole hallway. And you've never even paid an electrician to put them in. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. I think I saw someone do that. She had bought some really inexpensive shelving from Ikea and kind of like zhuzhed them up and then also added some in some sconces inlaid within the, the like cabinet. And it looked like she had spent thousands of dollars getting built-ins done by somebody. So yeah, there's so many great hacks like that. 
Another thing, I think the kitchen is an important element because it is, in my opinion, the moneymaker of your house. Your kitchen and your master bath. If you're gonna do anything, obviously, like Caitlin said, making sure your floor plan makes sense is huge. If your floor plan doesn't make sense, that could be a giant reason why somebody doesn't buy the house. But let's say your floor plan make, makes sense, makes sense for you, probably will make sense for somebody else, and you're like, cool, what can I do now to increase the value of my house? Um, there are certain things you can do, but if you're gonna spend money on redecorating a space, I definitely think it needs to be within your kitchen or in your master bath. The other two ways you can absolutely increase value, even from like an appraised value standpoint, is adding hardwoods. If there's carpet anywhere, hardwoods usually get definitely more bang for your buck when you go to sell. People love hardwoods. It's way easier to buy a fashionable rug than it is to rip out carpet when it goes out of style. Um, it's also good for like keeping your house smelling nice. Um, carpet is usually a lot harder to clean. And then also adding square footage. So if you have an unfinished basement or an unfinished attic space, anytime you add square footage or add some hardwoods, that's automatically going to increase the value of your house. But besides those two things, to me, it's always the kitchen and the bathrooms. Would you agree with that, Caitlin? I agree 100%. I mean, the kitchen is, not, that's the heart of your home, right? That's where everyone's going to come in and hang out. And then your master bath is just your one place to show off right? That's your, sure. room. That's your place to show off where you get to go <laughs> and enjoy and feel good about yourself. That's your bougie room. I love uh -huh. it. <laughs> I'm, I love it so much. I remember when I moved into my first house, it, I was renting it and I, I loved my landlord because he's like, you just do whatever you want to it. I'm probably going to tear this house down or whatever. I was like, okay. So I remember getting in and I was learning, you know, the design trends and working for this builder and getting to see all these beautiful homes. And I was living in this like tiny 700 square foot house built in 1905 and nothing had been updated. But slowly and surely I started doing some things. And one of the things I did was I painted all of my cabinets and it like, as soon as you walked in, it was like, bam, super beautiful, felt super different. And I used an alkyd paint. It's a little bit um, stickier of a paint and it has like a really nice finish. And that way it wouldn't rub off when I was using my cabinets and it just has really nice wear and tear. You know, it seems like a big endeavor to have your cabinets painted. I finally just convinced my mother-in-law, she had all of this wood in her house. She had different colored wood paneling, which was gorgeous. She had wood on her ceilings. It was like a log cabin. And then she had wood cabinets and I was like, we love wood. The wood texture is great. We love the wood tones, but it's almost too much and you need to break it up a little bit. And so I convinced her, I'm like, let's paint your cabinets. We can do it. I know we can do it. And so we did it and it looks amazing. And she feels like she has a whole brand new kitchen, but she barely spent anything. And so I think painting cabinets with the alkyd paint, is there any other kind of tactic you have with updating your kitchen to kind of give it a refresher without having to rip everything out like that? So I'm a big proponent of painting the cabinets and I like painting with an oil-based paint. It's really easy to do. You can just kind of set up a little station and I mean, I'll take a glass of wine and just paint them for an hour at a time and then wait for them to dry the next day and flip them over. I love wow. doing that. I, I think that curtains are a big thing in a kitchen too, putting in, so you don't just have like big open windows without a lot of personality, getting blinds or putting in Roman shades are a big one to really elevate the kitchen. Um, hardware is a big one. That's so easy to swap out. I mean, so, so easy. So many houses, there's not even hardware on the cabinets right? And then they get dirty and they're dingy and just switching out like the crappy chrome or sorry, switching out the <laughs> cheap chrome from Home Depot and then upgrading to something that's a polished nickel or a black or a champagne bronze. It just mm -hmm. elevates the whole space. 
I totally agree. And a lot of people are like, well, how much does that actually cost? You can buy a whole set of new cabinet hardware on Amazon for like $30 for, I'm talking like 20 cabinet doors and drawers. It's very inexpensive. Now, if you're gonna go extra bougie, you can be as bougie as you want. I'm talking like bare minimum, you wanna make a change and you're on a tight budget, you can do that. Um, the other thing is I've spray painted hardware before, again, using a really nice quality paint, um, but maybe you like the shape, but you just hate the finish color. You can buy like metal looking paint and you can spray paint them all in an afternoon, reinstall them that night and bam, you've got like a whole new kitchen. That really like goes a long way. I totally agree on the hardware. Another thing that I've done and seen people do that are first time home buyers on a budget is gone to Home Depot and gone beadboard. And then use the beadboard to wrap the island. Maybe it was mm. doesn't look very custom or it was very cheap. Just get three pieces of beadboard, a nail gun, and you're done. Sometimes on the uh, paneling, right? So where you would have your refrigerator, instead of just walking in and seeing the side of your refrigerator, you can just throw a piece of beadboard on there, secure it to the wall, and you're done. <sighs> That is so genius. And I, I mean, beadboard is very inexpensive. You used to be able to buy a whole sheet of beadboard for like 10 bucks. I don't know what it is now since lumber costs increased, but that's such a great idea. And if you don't have a nail gun, I'm sure you can borrow one from a neighbor. Yeah. That's super easy. I love that hack. That's genius. And it's primed. So you don't have to sand it, caulk it, anything. And then you just paint it whatever color you want. So smart. I've seen a lot of beadboard. Actually, people are doing that as backsplash too and painting it the same color as your cabinets. And it just looks so nice. One of my favorite girls that I follow on Instagram, it's Chris Loves Julia. Do you follow her? Have you seen their new rug line? No. Of course she has a new yeah, rug it's line. It's on Amazon. Oh. They're really cute. I like, I have to be careful because I can get so jealous because I love, I love design so much. I love HGTV. Like I miss being on the show. It's like, I love that world so much. And so I have to be like careful on like getting to, because I will just keep redesigning my house. I will keep you know, replacing pillow covers and changing things. Cause like styles change so quickly now with, with Instagram and Pinterest and Facebook. It's like, you might love white cabinets one day and the next day you're like, I have to get rid of my white cabinets. It's, mm -hmm. it's crazy. So I do want to encourage to any, anybody listening to this podcast, be content with what you have as well. It's not all about staying up to date with what's trending and what's more popular on Instagram or what's Joanna Gaines doing next. You don't have to stay in style. The biggest thing I tell homeowners when I used to help design from scratch, I would be sitting down with a couple and they're like, we're moving into this house, we're getting married. And I would give them some options of like, here's some cabinet colors. You can use this kind of backsplash, this kind of um, countertop. And at the end of the day, you know what I would say? I'm like, but you guys just need to do what you like because you're going to be the ones living in this house and enjoying it. And odds are, even if you were designed the house perfectly for what's on trend, that next homeowner might not like it. They might be from a different part of the country where dark cabinets, dark espresso cabinets are still in style. Um, actually, I just saw a blog post of how dark stained cabinets are coming back. I'm here for it. I love wood tones. But you know, you got to do what you like because at the end of the day, it's your house. You want to enjoy it. And odds are that homeowner's probably going to want to make that space feel like their own anyways. So do what you like. You might be like, I love white cabinets still. That's my thing. Go for it. Paint them white. Um, you know, the nice thing about white is I don't think white goes out of style and you can always layer with color. You can do different color teapots and wallpaper and Roman shades, things like that, um, different rugs. And you can kind of add on color from there. I think that's such a good idea. Another thing I've seen is a lot of exposed shelving. So if you've got a really small space and you've got cabinets everywhere, 
Again, remember what Caitlin said, you wanna have storage. But if you've got enough storage to spare, maybe you've got a pantry or another coat closet or linen closet, um, taking down some upper cabinets, maybe you add a, a backsplash going from the countertop all the way to the ceiling, and then go to Ikea, get on Wayfair, and get some exposed shelves, and display some of your favorite plates and pots um, with plants in them and, and vases and glasses and things like that, cookbooks. I love exposed shelving. I think it's just so fun, especially if you go and buy like really cute little dishes and bowls. Why hide them? Put that stuff on display. It just feels super welcoming and looks like you're always ready to host, and I love that kind of style. Especially if you're a newlywed and you have all your fun, fancy presents that you got for your wedding. It's like throw them up there and show them off. For sure. I love that. Another thing I was re recommending to somebody recently is they, they're like, I don't want to go and buy granite countertops or go buy marble because I don't know how long I'm going to live here. I'm on a tight budget. And you know what we found? We found this... Um, it's like a sticky, it's almost like sticky wallpaper and it looks like quartz or marble. It's kind of like a really pretty veining and it's like wipeable and cleanable and literally he stuck it onto the existing countertop. I think he got the entire kitchen done for like 50 bucks and it looks great. I mean, you have to be really meticulous about installing it and making sure that you don't get any air bubbles or like weird veins from putting it on. But as long as you install it really well, I mean, most people would not be able to tell that it's a sticker. It was incredible. I love that. I haven't done it yet, but I've been researching it and it looks really good so far. So I love that you used it and then saw it in person because I'm going to go. Yeah. Another thing is a lot of people still really love butcher block. Butcher block's a great option. If you've got Formica countertops and you're like, I have to get rid of these, they're the worst. Butcher block is very inexpensive. It's nice because you can stain it. You can cut directly on it if you like that kind of like old French bakery look. And it's something that is very easy to replace later on. So butcher block is still pretty popular. I agree. And you can find really good long remnant pieces of it all over town. Mm-hmm. For sure. I've also, we just did a concrete countertop. Um, we've got this really great concrete guy. He just does it out of his garage and we gave him the measurements and he just poured a slab of concrete and we installed that. It was a third of the price of our normal, normal like marble countertop we would do on an island. So I'm a big fan of concrete. We did concrete in our shower, in our bathroom instead of tile and everybody that walks in loves it. It is very trendy, but um, like you were saying, doing that kind of paint, that texture, I just, I also love texture. And so anyways, I think the concrete's also another good idea. I love that idea. Maybe we can talk a little bit about um, like bathroom trends and what you're seeing. I'm seeing a lot of bathtubs. I remember when I first started selling real estate, all of my home buyers were like, we don't need a tub. We're never going to use it. Mm -hmm. And now it's like everybody wants a tub. And I feel like maybe it's because of COVID and people actually learned how to rest. I know I did. I'm like, oh, I can read a book and actually recharge my batteries and not work myself to death. And I only have five minutes to shower. Now it's like, no, I'm going to prioritize my mental health. I'm going to rest. I'm going to read a book. I'm going to do breathing exercises. And then maybe I'll do some yoga. Like that's kind of the, what's been on trend since the pandemic. And so I feel like, do you, have you seen that in Salt Lake? Are bathtubs coming very popular again? Absolutely. It was, I was going to say the same thing you did when we first started 10 years ago. I was like, get rid of it because all my bathtub is is a laundry basket. Mm -hmm. Right, Nora? using them so that's a big trend here another one I'm seeing is people are instead of doing a separate tub and shower it's just one room which I like because it's actually cheaper to do it that way so you have the mm -hmm. landscape to do it and then instead of paying for seamless glass 
around the shower. It's just one panel when you walk in of seamless glass. Again, you can buy that size glass on Wayfair. Oh my gosh. In Etsy. You don't have to have a custom person come and do the seamless glass showers, which are expensive. I mean, that could be a couple thousand, but you can just get one piece that's probably about four feet wide and they have like different frames. You can go black, gold, whatever. They attach to the wall easily and they're only about a hundred dollars. And that way it's just the same tile is on all of the bathroom floor, right? So it feels very like a European wet room. You walk in, it's clean lines with the shower head, and then the tub is part of it as well. And I just oh, love that. I love that. Very sexy. It's like, I can get everything wet. I'm just going to splash everywhere. <laughs> I, I wish I would have thought of that when I had younger kids. Yeah. How nice would that have been? Be like, hey, you guys are in the bathtub and then I'm taking yeah. the shower. Like, we've been so yeah. efficient. Yeah. I know. That's so true. We had a couple clients in the past that the tile that they had in the bathroom was actually new. It was good quality. The grout lines were still in place. There was no cracking. Um, the grout still looked right, but they just didn't like the color. And we went ahead and just painted the tile and it was like a 12 by 12 square tile and i'm like honestly guys the tile is in great shape this was a good tile install job what you could do is paint the tiles almost like checkerboard and so we did like a white and black um with a little bit of gold veining and it looked gorgeous like she seriously she posts pictures of her bathroom all the time and it was so inexpensive to do so don't be like you know you're looking through houses or maybe you're looking on zillow don't see things for what they are, see them for what they could be. And especially after listening to this podcast and following different designers and looking and seeing other DIY hacks, there's so many things and so many different resources nowadays of ways that you can elevate your space without spending a fortune. And that was one that I was like, oh my gosh, this was like one of the best bangs for a buck was, was painting the tile. Um, and I love that too. If you've got like a really retro bathroom, play off of what's there. I remember one time I um, was looking at a house and it had a bright like avocado green bathtub and toilet. And some of the tile had like a little stripe of this green. And we walked in and my clients were like, oh, this is horrible. We have to remove it. I was like, you guys don't see the potential here. You guys could get this like super cool wallpaper that has like creams in it. And maybe it's got a pop of that avocado green. And then you could get towels that matches and you could really play off of this color. And none of the items were broken. It wasn't like they had to be replaced. They just saw, oh, it's not white or it's not neutral. And so I have to replace it. And I think leaning into some of the funky elements of the house is a really great way to make it look like it was professionally designed. And even like some of the blogs that I'm looking at, I mean, they're adding funky tile details. They're adding in old, you know, different colored toilets back into bathrooms. I mean, it's, it all comes back around, baby. I remember my mom was sending me a picture. She's like, I can't believe flare jeans are back in style. I wish I would have saved them all from college. Uh, I mean, it all comes back around. So I think following your gut, following your budget, following what you like. Don't get too caught up in what's too trendy and, you know, let your house have personality. I think that that's, to me, that feels like when a house is like designed really well and also feels homey is when it's not too perfect. It's like, we've got our kids' paintings on the wall. You know, we've got some hand-me-down rugs. I got this one pillow I really love from TJ Maxx and then we painted a fun color on the wall. Like that feels like very lived in and homey to me. Okay, so I'm going to wrap this up and I know there's so much more we can talk about. We could talk about furniture. We can talk about, you know, how to take, when to take down a wall, natural lighting. I mean, there's so many different things. We haven't even talked about the exterior of a house. It looks like we're gonna just need a whole nother episode, which we can do that later on. Okay. Um, but Caitlin, how have things been since you've been back and what is the market like there? Okay, 
things have been beautiful since we came back. So this has been a pipe dream of ours for the last five years, wanting to come back here. We just have, it's such a good place to raise kids. You're outside all year long, whether it's skiing or ice climbing, boating, there's so much to do. I love the community here. We would come back like three or four times a year and just always daydream and look at houses. And so I've actually become pretty good friends with a lot of the realtors out here before even moving back here and been following the trends in the market. And one thing that's incredible to me is, you know, when we were in Nashville, we really did suffer last year. The housing market did and the inventory rose, but not here in Salt Lake. I mean, we were still getting multiple offers on houses that were over 1.3 million. Wow. It is crazy how strong it stayed here. And it's because everybody wants to be along the Wasatch Front, just be as close as they can to the mountains. Wow. So even like the last six months, you guys still are in multiple offer situations? Absolutely. Yeah. We had an offer on a house that was close to 1.4 and we were one of seven offers. Oh my gosh. And you would think with the higher interest rates, because we've recorded a few podcasts in the last couple of weeks and everybody else, and even you listening to this, this episode, you're probably also in shock like I am, that almost all other U.S. cities right now, they are starting maybe now in the last couple of weeks to see multiple offers, but pretty much since September, things have really slowed down. So I'm like shocked. That's great. You would think because of the interest rates that people who weren't maybe a serious buyer before, they were like, well, I'll just see if rates go back down and, you know, buy when the rates are lower. But that's amazing. You have to get a good agent that can be yes. sure to throw in a two-one buy down for you and educate you on that. And then really educate, if you're a buyer's agent, really educating the seller and the listing agent why this is such a good way to spend your money and how you're going to move the house faster that way. Totally. Well, and I think also, I mean, your your city is just growing so much. So I remember in Nashville when we were, you know, hustling and picking out paint colors and tile in 2012, we thought things were expensive back then. We're like, oh my gosh, you're spending $300,000 for a house in Germany. Town, that's crazy. And now that same house is worth over a million. My same light French gray Sherman Williams paint color is on the wall in the kitchen, and now it's worth 1.3 or whatever. But Okay, well, I love learning more about your market. I want to definitely come visit Salt Lake City sometime. Um, if you are in Salt Lake and you are looking for a realtor, looking for a designer, you have got to contact Caitlin. She is our incredible agent out there. She is our expert on Salt Lake's market, and she has all the tools in her tool belt to do an amazing job and help you. She's also going to be teaching our How to Buy a House class out there, so definitely go to one of her classes. You can follow her on social media. I'll make sure to tag her handle, and you guys can check her out. What is one piece of advice and I always end all of our episodes like this, but what is one piece of advice that you would like to give to our listener? And it can be real estate related. It can be design related. It can be personal. It doesn't even have to be real estate related, but one golden nugget that you would like to pass off to the person listening to this podcast, what would it be? Okay. So I think you kind of touched on it because we have so much to talk about with design. So my advice to anybody who, if they're a novice or if they have portfolios of real estate is check in with your real estate agent annually. Think of your realtor as your real estate advisor. Every, you do it for everything else. So you meet with your tax person or your CPA every year. You go to the doctor every year. You meet with a financial advisor every year. You meet with your kids' teachers every year. Make sure that you are reaching in with your real estate advisor every year and getting good advice. 
even if you don't want to sell for 10 years, you need to know what's going on, how you can increase the value of your home. If you want to try to buy properties outside, you want to try to use your property now. Maybe it's like you've stayed there for 10 years, you have equity and you want to try to get rental properties. I just think staying in touch and just having a refresher on your whole real estate portfolio is key. It's key for making money and staying happy. Wow. I literally could not agree more. I think that's so huge. And you might be listening to this podcast and you might not have a go-to realtor. Definitely take advantage of our website. Get on there and check out our different realtors that we have in different cities. And you could also reach out to us. You might be in a city that we don't have a teacher in yet. And we would love to help connect you with a realtor that we think would be an expert advisor for you in your market. And you want to use somebody who's local, someone who has great reviews, someone that's active in the neighborhood that you live in or in the neighborhood that you want to live in. I think all those things are super important. And we'll probably do a whole nother podcast of how to choose your realtor because that's that is huge, but I love what you're saying. I mean, I think that's such a good idea. And especially even with design stuff, I mean, using a realtor that's also well-versed on the market, they're going to know what design trends are happening and they're going to know, oh, everybody loves, you know, black X years right now. So if you're thinking about painting your house and selling in two years, paint it for what you think people are going to want in two years and be smart with your decisions. So it's not just doing whatever the heck you want and hope it sells one day. So I think that that's great advice. And making sure that that advice is tailored to you specifically. I don't give the same advice to every single client. I actually just helped two sisters that are both married, both had babies, both buy and sell properties this year within a couple months of each other. And I did not give them the same advice whatsoever. Wow. So having that strong relationship with somebody you stay in touch with, then you're really getting personal advice for what's best for you and your goals and your family. It's so true. I always say that realtors were coaches, we're like therapists, we're financial advisors, we're friends, we're like concierges for, you know, all of the things happening in town. Um, we're like event planners. I mean, we do it all, but you, especially Caitlin, I, I'm so grateful to have you part of our network and you just have so much experience and whether it's new construction or design or just home buying in general, I think you just bring so much to the table when you work with your clients. And I love that. And I love having you part of our network. It's just, it's such an honor. So thanks for being willing to share all of your tips and tricks and advice. And thanks for being a part of today's episode. We really appreciate you. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me today. This was a blast to get to talk about this stuff with you. Yay. Yeah. Amazing. All right. Well, I will talk to you soon. Thanks again. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye. Stay tuned for more episodes from the How to Buy a House class. You can follow us on Instagram. We're at the How to Buy a House class. You can also email us. Yes, we still use email and we would love to connect to you that way as well. You can reach us directly at hello at howtobuyahouseclass.com. And I also would love to connect with you. My Instagram handle is at Jess Lou Randolph. And we hope you have a fabulous day. Thanks for listening and God bless you.